Good afternoon. If you've got a Bible with you, you might want to be turning to Hebrews chapter 11. And in a moment, we're going to look at verse 23 in Hebrews chapter 11 through to verse 27. I'm just going to pray. Father God, I thank you that you're here by your spirit. You're at work amongst us. Lord, you're speaking to us. Lord, I thank you. You have a great big plan (laughs) that you've caught us up into. Lord, that you've, you've got hold of us. Lord, you came by, you came Jesus, you came. Father, you sent your son. You died. Jesus, you rose again. You've made a way for us to be caught up into something that is so much bigger than that which we just catch a glimpse of. Lord, into a great plan that you've been working out through the ages. Lord, a great plan that we can see something of through these words in Hebrews 11. Lord, this great story Lord, that you are at work. You've got a great plan. Lord, something that you've caught us up into and it goes way beyond these four walls. Oh, Lord, would you come and continue to speak to us now? Lord, would you continue to work in us? Lord, thank you. You are at work. Lord, we see that. And we're delighted in it. And Lord, we pray. Lord, would you, yeah, just continue to catch us up, God. That we would know. There's something so much bigger. You are so worthy. Lord, would you fix our focus and our gaze on you? Amen. Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they saw, sorry, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ Christ, as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. So in going through the letter to the Hebrews, when I've been preaching, going through Hebrews 11, which we've been doing for for several weeks now, we've been seeing this great story playing out. This is what God has done through the ages. This is what we see, that by faith, Noah saw it. By faith, Abraham saw it. By faith, Jacob sees it and Isaac and Joseph and these different ones at different times they've seen. This is God. We're believing him and look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. Look, look at this plan that he's unfolding. We come here. The writer's effectively taken us through the book of Genesis. And we come into the beginning of the book of Exodus. And we see Moses. We effectively cover the story today from Moses being born 
If we remember the story, we know Moses was, was born. He was, after a few months, he's laid in a basket and put in the river. And, and, and it's kind of like, what's going to happen to him? Where's he going to go? And Pharaoh's daughter finds him and takes him in and raises him as her own. And we see as Moses grows up, he, he identifies with the, with the people of God. And we have this event where he ends up killing an Egyptian as he sees him ill-treating one of the Hebrew slaves. And in the end, Moses ends up fleeing to Midian. So we see this story covered by these few verses of Hebrews 11. And as we've looked at through this chapter, by faith, by faith, this this chapter recalls so many stories, so many heroes of faith. But it's this that we're drawn to remember, that it is by faith. In that sense, we're not drawn to any sense of amazing heroism or great worth, specifically in the men and women involved. We've shown their example. We can look to their example, but what is it that we're shown? They trusted God. They put their trust in God and they saw God come through. They They looked and they saw, we've got this incredible God who we can trust. And look, God has broken in. God breaks in. God breaks in. Look what happens. Look, look here, look. Look at all of it. We see the glorious truth here of the the great statement of salvation that we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It is by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works that none should boast. It's a gift of God. God, the one who these people saw. They saw it's God. We're trusting him. We see it all the way through. That's how all these are remembered. Noah, Abraham, Jacob. You could pick out any of them. But here we focus on the beginning of the story of Exodus. We see God's work in his people. As his people trust him, we see in Moses and his parents. What could they do but trust God? As we look through the story, we'll see. It can only be by faith. It can only be trusting God. What could they do? So let's look into it. Last time we finished with Joseph. That was the end of the book of Genesis. And we, we find ourselves fast-forwarding 400-ish years. And in that time, the Israelites who've moved down to Egypt, Joseph has kind of, through Joseph, God saved them and brought them into, into Egypt to escape the famine. Uh, and they flourished. They've grown. They've multiplied massively in this land. But of course, over time, we've seen generation come, a generation have died, a new generation has come. And that's been true of the pharaohs, the pharaoh who who knew and respected and thought, Joseph is just the best, he's amazing. He's wonderful, he's died, he's gone. Other pharaohs have come and gone. And we get to this point in Exodus chapter 1 where we see a new pharaoh came who didn't remember Joseph. Didn't remember Joseph and didn't, didn't think anything of him. All he can see is this worryingly large group of Israelites who are in his land. And he thinks, well, what we need to do is control them and oppress them and enslave them. And he sets them to work as slaves. And ultimately, as time goes on, he thinks, actually, well, we need to get a bit more drastic and uh, we need to stop these Israelites growing. They're still, still flourishing. We've got them as slaves. They're still growing and mu- multiplying. 
It's a terrifying number. They could just come and attack us or something. We'd have to resort to more drastic measures. And he uh, ultimately issues this edict, first to the Hebrew midwives. Well, when, when a Hebrew boy is being born, kill him. Just kill him as soon as he's being born. Get rid of him. But we see, even in the midst of this, we see this glorious moment where the Hebrew midwives, it says of them, they didn't do it because they feared God. They feared God. We see, just as an aside as we get started, we see even here the perseverance of faith. We see 400 years ago with Joseph. Joseph ends the book of Genesis saying to his brothers, I'm going to die one day God's going to come and bring you out. God will be with you here. God's, going to, God's, going to, God's got a great plan that he's, on, he's going to carry on with it. But the generations have gone by. They're still in Egypt. We don't hear of anything happening. Nothing's gone on. It seems they've, they've flourished in the land, but well, we're still in Egypt. What's going on? Generation after generation after generation. And yet we see when it comes to Pharaoh saying to the midwives, you do what I say. No, we fear God. We trust him. It may be 400 years since Joseph said, one day God's going to bring you out, but we've kept hold of that. We've kept looking to God. Somewhere in the, in the Israelite community, it's, it's been passed on and passed on, and they're still trusting that their God is going to bring them out. That God is the one we're going to follow. God is the one who's to be feared. Not Pharaoh. God is the one to be feared. And we'll see it. We see it in the midwives and we'll see it in Moses' parents in a moment that they, they're still believing. And we see again, as the story goes on, we're going to see that God is going to use Moses in a mighty way. He's going to use Moses to be the one who leads his people out of Egypt to, to perform incredible signs through him before Pharaoh and do all this stuff through Moses as his spokesperson. And I would encourage us, we can so easily, immediately go, oh, well, I couldn't be Moses. There's no way I could ever be Moses. Or maybe, maybe not. What is God going to call us to? But see this encouragement. Perhaps, actually, we're called to be like Moses' parents. Or we're called to be like those midwives. Or we're called to be like the unnamed thousands through the generations who have said, you know what, we're still following God. I'm teaching it to my children. I'm teaching it to the people down the road. And I'm teaching it to them. And they're getting to the point where they're going to come to this moment where the midwives are going to say, no, no, we fear God. And then Moses is going to be born. And his parents are going to say, no, we fear God. And he's going to be saved. And Moses will be raised up. So many through history, we see great men and women raised up who do amazing things for God. And a little sub-note, right at the beginning of the story, will say, and you know what, there was one person who spoke to them once and said, do you want to come to church? Or there was a parent who taught faithfully and this rebellious child who said, I'm not listening to that, and eventually it got in. And then they became this amazing witness to God. I'll be encouraged. We've all got a part to play in the story of God. God calls us in. He wants to do amazing things. That amazing thing might be, I'm going to tell this one. I don't know what God's going to do with them. Anyway, that was all an aside. But keep hold of that as we go through. 
But that's the backdrop. The midwives have said, no, we fear God, we're not doing this. So Pharaoh said, okay, then everyone, all my people, if you see a Hebrew boy born, throw him in the river. Kill them. Get rid of them. This is the backdrop to Moses' birth. And so we see in verse 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. See this situation. Pharaoh said, it's a boy, kill him. Moses' parents have no ability to, do, to influence anything. What can they do? The king has said. Pharaoh said to all the people, it's your responsibility, get rid of them. What can they do? What can they do except trust Moses to God? They keep him hidden. Then, as we may be aware, as the story goes on, they cast him adrift in a basket in the river. What can they do? They're in no position to influence anything about what Pharaoh says. But yet they don't give Moses up to destruction. In the moment, we can do nothing. We're powerless to everything. They say, you know what, God, we're trusting you. We're trusting you. And in the midst of this, our author draws us to this wonderful aspect, this incredible element of faith. And this is the first of two alliterative statements today. That faith overcomes fear. The writers come to this point through his letter. He opens up this sense of what Jesus came to do in chapter 2, uh, in verse 14 and 15. Talks about Jesus dying that he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to, to make a way, yes, but to break this power. Fear that holds us, that traps us, that locks us up. And the sin that, that, that is in us. Until he comes all the way through his letter to that wonderful launch pad into chapter 11 in, chap, in Hebrews 10 verse 39. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. But to those who have faith and are saved. We're not those who shrink back, shrink back in fear and think, oh, what am I going to do? No, we're those who... As he says to his readers, with those who have faith and are saved. And he focuses it in here. Moses' parents act in faith, not fearing the king. You see, it'd be so easy to, to kind of get into the situation and think, well, there's nothing we can do. I guess we better just hand him over. What can we do? Pharaoh said so. Pharaoh's the king. He's in charge, isn't he? And yet, no, what do they do? God, we can't do anything. Pharaoh's got all the power, but actually we can hide him and we can trust you. We can trust you to keep us safe, to keep him safe. All sorts of thoughts could be going through their minds. What if he's found? What will happen to, well, what will happen to him? He's going to die anyway. What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to our family, to anything? If Pharaoh finds out what we've done, no, God, all we can do is hide him and trust you. And do you know what they see? We, they see 
God break in? And to put it very basically, God works things out. <laughs> See this wonderful, wonderful outworking of God's plan. What? They hide him for three months. When they, when they realize there's no way we can keep him hidden any longer, what can we do? All I can think of is we could put him in the river in a, in a basket and leave him. And Miriam, his big sister, watches and sees what's going to happen. Is he is he's kind of floating in the river? or where, What's happening? You see, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river and sees. Oh, isn't this one of the Hebrew babies? And we see this incredible moment where she says, I want to keep him. I want to raise him. I don't want to kill him. I want to look after him. And, and then this... In, Again, step on. Another incredible moment. Miriam's been watching. Moses' sister comes up and says, excuse me, should I get a nurse? One of the Hebrew women. I could get to look after him for you. Oh yeah, go on. And so Moses' mother ends up looking after Moses. She could do nothing. She could do nothing about it. Except say, God, we're trusting you. I don't know what to do. All I can do is put him in this basket. We've hidden him. Now we can't. See what God does. See what God does. There's this wonderful sense faith overcame fear. Later, the writer emphasizes this aspect. Only a couple of verses later, he says, says of Moses in verse 27 By faith, he, Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. We see Moses' parents, it says, by faith, they overcame their fear. But Moses, again, by faith, he didn't fear the king either. But almost both these events, we could appear to think, well, it looked like they're fairly scared. They hid their baby, and then Moses is running away. Some have said, that this refers to the Exodus, I would suggest the chronology and the context suggests that this moment is Moses fleeing to Midian. He's, he's killed an Egyptian. He's, he's kind of put his cards on the table, if you like. He's kind of put his lot in with his own people. And as Stephen kind of summarizes, he's, he's kind of suggesting in Acts chapter 7, as Stephen reflects on Moses' life, as he's telling this big story of what God's done, he's saying, well, he, he kind of thought that his people would recognize that God's raising him up to save them, and yet they didn't. So Moses is caught in this kind of position. Well, I've kind of burnt these bridges, and these people don't seem to be recognizing me. What can I do? But the writer of the Hebrews points out to us, this isn't an act of just pure terror and giving up. This is faith. I can't go back here. I can't do this, God. What can I do? All I can do, God, is trust you. I can't see any way out, but I can trust you. Okay, we'll go to Midian and we'll wait. And I'll keep trusting. We've got this baby boy. What can we do? I don't know what we can do. All we can do is trust God. We'll hide him and we'll trust you. It would be so easy to be overcome by fear. So easy to just think, this is terrible. We should probably just give up. But we see Moses and his parents know. They understand, no, look, this looks dire. This looks 
horrendous, and yet in the midst of it, where we could be terrified, God, we're trusting you. God, we're trusting you. Trusting God rather than fearing Pharaoh. So we say, we're saying faith overcomes fear. For us, for the readers who, the early readers of this letter, what's the message? In the face of anything, in the face of terrifying circumstances, right there, what can I do? I can't cope with this, I can't do anything. Trust him. Believe him. That he is so much bigger, that he is so much greater, that he is for you. Believed God, not fearing Pharaoh's edict. Fear of man can be so crippling. Particularly, they're in authority. They've said, what will happen to us if we do anything else? What can we do? But fear of man in general can be so crippling. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? What, if I step out in this way or if I say no to that, what, what are they going to say? I'm afraid. God's message is to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But why? Why? Because, because you should just drum up some courage somehow that we could, I need to stand strong. No, it's by faith. And what do I mean by that? It's by, it's by trusting in the God who is totally to be trusted, by knowing he is the one who is with us. It's not, it's not I've got to somehow find some courage, but look, when I see, it's terrifying around, but now I can look up and see the king who is much bigger, who is greater, whose grace has been lavished on me, whose love is poured out, who is always with me. What does God say to Joshua? In Joshua chapter 1, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. David can write in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Paul writes about, in, in Paul writing about God putting his spirit in us in Romans chapter 8, he said, look, this is, the, this is God who is with you. This is God who has put his spirit in you. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. You see, by faith we overcome fear. By believing in the God who is so much greater and yet is with us and in us. So that in every situation we face, Moses' parents faced a terrible situation. What do we do? We've got this baby boy and yet he's supposed to die? What do we do? Even in the midst of terrible situations in the midst of just intimidating situations in everything we've got a god with us who is bigger than anything we face and so the writers of the hebrews encourages us to lift our eyes again this is how faith overcomes fear we focus our eyes again on god and we see god if you are with me then who can be against me who can be against us He is good. He is so much greater. So we see that Moses and his parents, they both faced terrifying situations. They faced 
a scary king. But we see they didn't fear because they believed God. A God who is able, who is for us, who is good and who we can trust. But we see also, here's the second alliterative statement, that Moses comes to a point of having to choose Christ over comfort. If I can summarise it like that. Verse 24 to 26, we see this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. We see this great statement, by faith Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see, after this pretty rocky and scary start to life, Moses has got a pretty good setup, you would think. He's been brought up surrounded by the riches of Egypt, educated in all the, their ways, educated with all the new fangled ideas that they'd come up with, mighty in word and deed, he's described as. We could assume a very comfortable life, wealth, status. He's essentially a prince in Egypt, this mighty, powerful nation. He is, to all intents and purposes, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But by faith, he refuses it. He refuses it. Why? Well, we see in Exodus that... For one thing, he identifies with his people. He identifies with the people of God. And we're told in that story we just kind of uh, glimpsed at a minute ago, we're told he goes out when he's grown up to see where his people were. He watches their hard labor. He sees the terrible situation that they're in. And then he sees this man, this Hebrew man, being kind of uh, uh, beaten by this Egyptian slave worker. Uh, And he comes and he intervenes and he says, no, I'm not standing for this. And he ends up killing the Egyptian. He he identifies with his people. He says, no, you're the people of God. This is my identity. But we see the point our author is making here. Beyond that, or maybe that's part of that, he sees the true reality. He sees the the treasures, the status, the the comfort of Egypt and the situation that he could kind of settle for, for what it really is. Fleeting. Temporary. Something that isn't going to last. All these riches, all this stuff that he could have, all this kind of position, all this worldly status, fleeting. It's described as the fleeting pleasures of sin. Well, that's what he's facing up to. What does he see? That this, all this stuff that Egypt could offer, everything that I could have and I have, by just saying, of course, I am the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's who I am. That's what I've been brought up at, of course. It's all of no comparison in value to suffering for the sake of Christ. All of it. Moses saw they're worthless. 
It's better by far to stand with his people, to stand with the people of God, to suffer with them, to identify them, to identify with Christ. See, the writer brings it right through. Moses is thousands of years before Christ comes, but you can see, actually, this is what God's doing. This is the plan. This is what it's all about. This is what Moses is identifying with. He's identifying with God's people and God's plan and God's plan to bring salvation through Jesus. Identifying with Christ in his sufferings. Moses sees in a moment you want to call me the son of Pharaoh's daughter? I'm not the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God's. We see Paul in Philippians 3 talking slightly different context. He's talking about how he could think to put his trust in the things of the flesh. Look, if anyone could, I could. All this stuff, all the, look, at, look at what I've done. Look at what I did in, when, before I knew Christ. But he says... It's all worthless. It's all garbage compared to the joy of knowing Christ. It's all rubbish. What we see, Moses chooses to refuse all of that because he knows there is something far greater. That's what Moses saw. But what did he see? He sees a nation of slaves, a persecuted people trapped. No, what does he see? He sees a great vision. A great vision of God, God's plan that God is going to take his people out. God's got great things that are going to happen. I want to identify with these people because I want to identify with my God who's got a great plan that's beyond anything that Egypt can ever manage. By faith, he sees something far better. The temptation for us, there's so much that is attractive about sin. There's so much that's attractive about what the world can offer. The pleasure that temporarily can just seem, oh, it seems good. How do we combat it? Do we say, no, I must not. I must not do this. No. What are we seeing? Moses saw something better and he fixed his eyes on that. He fixed his eyes on the fact, look, God is so much better. Therefore, yeah, of course, it is far better to suffer with, suffer and identifying with Christ than any of this rubbish that you want to put in front of me. Even though it looks quite nice. So by faith, he refused it. He gave up everything. He said, no, I'm identifying with God's people. For us, it may not be the same situation. It may not be that we're called to give up a, a position of influence or wherever. God may call us to use our position of influence in a, in a particular way. We could look at this and say, well, sh- surely shouldn't Moses have just stayed in and kind of, we could have kind of diplomatically tried to argue for things. He could have stood up for his people. Or maybe, but no, God showed Moses actually the way for you is to throw all that off. Identify with the people. It's not to say that we won't be in a position where actually our influence can be used for the, for the furtherance of the gospel. God can use us in any position. 
But there will be times when we're called to say, what am I living for? What am I living for? Moses saw, no, I'm living, I'm a person, I'm a child of God. I'm making that call. So much stuff could come up and we say, well, that looks good, or that looks great, or, or maybe I should get, no, I've seen something better, and it's Jesus. It might involve giving up careers, it might involve saying no to particular sins, it may, particular sinful situations, it may involve saying to your friends, no, I'm not going on this particular outing, or what, outing? We go on outings? Anyway, you can interpret it. Um, I'm not going there. I'm not doing it. But it may, it may involve just saying, actually, no, God, you've put me in this place and I am following you wholeheartedly in it. But it may involve us making decisions that don't make sense to the people around us. To anyone who'd been with Moses in Pharaoh's household, what are you doing? He gives it all up. I guess in some very small way for me, I've got a first-class honours degree in engineering and a PhD in machine design. I had a good job with great career prospects, working for one of the biggest engineering companies in the world. And I hesitate at telling the story because I don't feel I've given anything up. When God said, no, I want you to work for the church. But if it helps anyone, there is a situation. We're called in different times to make different decisions. But the, th- the, the, the true thing for me was I could look at that and think, what on earth are my colleagues going to think? And I, you could get paralyzed by fear. Again, going back to the first point. God calls us to make, they might be big decisions, they might be small decisions, they might be any kind of decision. But he said, I'm going to put God first and what he has said It might feel like a big sacrifice. It might feel like, actually, this is obvious. But I remember my only thoughts on it were, my colleague's just going to think I'm an idiot. And actually, it's like, God, I don't care. Because I want to do what you say. And actually, to complete that story, my colleagues were very, very respectful, actually. Anyway. But you get the point. God says... Actually, we're gonna, what are we saying? Is it my career, my prospects, my comfort, my status, my, anything I could get that the world can offer, or is it I'm following you, God? Some of those things might work in, and he will use them, and he'll do it, and he'll do all these different things. As I say, this isn't some kind of message to say, well, we should just give up all wealth, and we should give up any position of influence. No, God puts people in different places, and he uses it. But are we, is our focus going to be, God, my eyes are fixed on you. My eyes are fixed on you. I want every decision to be based on, actually, God, this is where you're leading me. This is what you've got. There's a much bigger plan. that I mean, it's not nothing to do with my personal fulfillment or my personal kind of career and prospects and whatever else. It's all to do with what is your plan, God, which goes far beyond me. Far beyond us. There's a world that God has a plan to reach. So God doesn't necessarily call us to give up every particular position or, or place of influence that he puts us in, but he, also, he does call us to say, like Moses, no, my focus is Christ. My focus is God. 
my personal comfort and position is not important. Our eyes are fixed on something greater. Just as Moses was, I'm identifying with the children of God. I'm a child of the king. That's my identity. That's who I am. That's what this is all about. Following him wherever he leads. See, Moses considered that even suffering for Christ is better. Suffering for him is better than all the riches that, and the, the fleeting pleasures of sin that Egypt could provide. But again, it's by faith. Not Moses was such a good example of being so sacrificial and how, how he managed to be so sacrificial. No, Moses believed something better. He fixed his eyes on God and he saw, why would I want any of that when I can have you? And as we grow in knowing him, we see more and more, God, you are worth it. You are worthy. You are better. What can the world offer? What fleeting pleasures of sin compared to the joy of knowing Christ? So our writer draws this out. Look, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we fix our eyes on him, as we believe him, Faith overcomes fear. But as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we see, oh, you are so much better. My comfort is nothing compared to the fact I can know you. My position in this world is nothing compared to the fact I can know you and follow you, God. That's what Moses saw. That's what his parents saw. And so as the writers of the Hebrews proclaimed, keep going by faith. Not because we're some kind of gluttons for punishment or we're great at keeping some rules. Okay, well, I will say no to this or I'll do it. No, but because we know Christ and he is utterly worth it. As we close, what does the writer go on to say? As he rounds up chapter 11, he moves into chapter 12 and he says in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... All these examples, all these great men and women who followed God and trusted him. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. By faith, we look to him and we keep following. Amen.